What a privilege, Father, to just pause and commune with you. Lord, we just open our hearts to you. We want to hear your voice speaking to us this morning. We ask that our eyes would be open to see truths from your word that would impact our lives, that would bring health and robustness to our relationships, that would fill our hearts with more love. Lord, we long for you to do a new thing in our hearts this morning. Please pour out your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Just this past week, a plane was taking off in Siberia. I have a picture here of this plane. Hopefully that we can get it on the screen if we can get our, our PowerPoint. Oh, oh, that, there it is. All right. So there was a plane taking off in Siberia. So this past week, our forecast was... But I want you to imagine for a second that the forecast, I told you that this coming week was going to be a very special rain, that you could expect that on Monday morning, around Paso Robles, Atascadero, that it was going to rain, and you didn't want to be outdoors because this rain was going to be very heavy, and the rain was going to be gold and diamonds and platinum raining all over Paso Robles and Atascadero. How excited would you be about that? What if it was $368 million worth of gold bars, platinum, and diamonds? This cargo plane took off in Siberia this week, and as it was taking off, something went wrong in the takeoff, and the hatch opened in the back of the cargo plane, and these little sacks began to fall out. Some of them were strewn all over the runway. It had $368 million worth of gold, platinum, and diamonds on board. Strewn all over the, rain, the, the runway, but it kept going. And as it was flying for the next 10 miles, it said about 26 kilometers, it continued to drop out treasures. <laughs> Now, some of you are, get off your phones, it's Sabbath, stop booking your flights to Siberia. They've, they've, they've cordoned off this area, but what if we knew that the sky was going to rain down gold? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't you love to go out after that and to go grab up all the gold you possibly could, all the diamonds that you possibly could? Well, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, because here's the good news for your relationships this morning. Jesus has given a forecast for your relationships, and he's given a, a principle that is overarching in your relationships that will result in sheer gold in your relationships. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to put, ignore the verse at the bottom because it's wrong, but Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. It's very familiar to us. It's known as the golden rule. Just let it sink in in a fresh way to you this morning. It says this, Therefore, where whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the law and the prophets. This is amazing what Jesus is saying here, because when he says the law and the prophets, he's taking the entire Old Testament that had all of those laws, those 613 laws that were in the Torah, that had all of those instructions from the prophets, all of those promises throughout the Old Testament. He's taking all of those principles and laws and teachings of the Old Testament that, that people thought you needed the scribes to be able to explain all of these things to you. And he's saying, if you want to boil it down to one simple principle, it is this. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. That's it. That, if you wanted to summarize the whole Old Testament, you want to boil it down to the fundamental principle, the most important thing there, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Isn't that phenomenal? We started off in week number one talking about how reality is fundamentally social. That, that reality is based on 
relationships. That, that, that is how God has designed the universe. And Jesus here is really confirming that as he says, the Old Testament, all of those important things that I said I have come to fulfill, that I've come to fill full of meaning, all of that boils down to love. Doing unto others as you would have others do unto you. Now, the thing about this is, if you think about it, let's go actually, uh, well, let's, let's say I wake up in the morning. And a lot of you know that I love bananas. So I wake up in the morning and I think to myself, I love my wife. And Jesus told me that I should do unto others as I would have others do unto me. So what I'm going to do is, I want for my wife to have bananas because I like bananas. Have you ever read the golden rule before and thought, I should do unto others exactly what I want for them to do to me? So I love bananas. So surely my wife must love bananas, right? But here's the thing. When I go into my kitchen, normally I'll always also find something else. Sweet potatoes. Because that's my second favorite, or sometimes they're, they're right there parring with each other, sparring with each other, because I love sweet potatoes too. And I love to have sweet potatoes for breakfast. Yeah, you're not sounding very excited about that. So... I want to surprise my wife for breakfast, and I find bananas, I find sweet potatoes, and what I love to do is to take oatmeal and to put flaxseed on top of it, and then to put bananas on top of it, and then to put sweet potatoes on top of all of that, and eat it with no milk, just dry. I think it's delicious, so I'm going to take that to my precious wife. Maybe I'll even do breakfast in bed and she's going to love it. Now, lest you think I'm totally crazy, I found a recipe online for sweet potato, banana, oatmeal, and mine doesn't look that delicious. But how do you think she'll feel when I bring that to her and I say, here is your breakfast? She doesn't like sweet potatoes that much, believe you me. She doesn't like bananas that much. You see, when Jesus tells us something, we need to dig a little bit deeper to see a little bit more of what this principle really looks like. And I think Ephesians chapter 5 helps us. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, and I encourage you when you go home, read Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 6. That's one of the further readings on the back of your your study guide there. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says something that I believe helps me to unpack the golden rule. Now today we're going to be looking at principles that are sometimes based on something that's focused for wives or focused to husbands. And this verse is focused to husbands. But I want you to not write it off if you're not a husband. Okay, so if you're single, then don't write it off. If you're a female, then don't write it off. Because there are principles here that all of us can take to heart. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28 says this, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So Paul uses this analogy, love your wife just like you love your body. Now this helps me to understand better what this golden rule is all about, about doing unto others as I would have them do unto me. Because if I think about my body and I think about growing up, the things that I really wanted to put in my body... The things that I would love to have put in my body were an ice cream cookie dough sandwich. Yeah, that would be delicious. If, and, and, and Cheetos. I love Cheetos. I love donuts. I loved extra cheesy pizza. And I used to think, you know, once I finally get free from this yoke of bondage of being in my parents' home, I'm going to eat as much cheesy pizza and donuts as I want. And I'll have ice cream before I eat my meal, after my meal. It won't matter. But here's the thing. When you put these kind of things into your body, how does it impact you? How do you feel? Your mind may tell you, this is what I really want to eat. But if you love your body properly, you're going to recognize that that's not what's best for your body. You're going to see I need to feed my body vegetables, even though I don't really like vegetables that much. I need some whole grains, even though whole grains aren't my favorite. I'm going to put that into my body because I know that that is what is good for my body. Paul goes on to say, for no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. This principle of doing unto others as you would have others do unto you takes some analysis. It takes drawing close to somebody. It takes a realization. As I got older and began to recognize what happens with my body when I put junk food in it, I realized that I needed healthy food. Our relationships need some analysis to realize the things that we can put into them that will actually be beneficial to a person. When I say that I want somebody to do unto, that I'm going to do unto somebody as I wish that they would do unto me, I'm really saying that I need to enter into their experience and realize the things that they most need, the things that they most appreciate. Because what I really want for somebody to do for me is not to fix their favorite breakfast for me, but I want them to wake up in the morning and fix my favorite breakfast. In the same way in our relationships, we want to do unto others as we would have others do unto us. There was a national study done where 400 men were forced to choose which situation they would rather be in. So go ahead and take a look at the screen. Number one, would you rather be left alone and unloved in the world? Again, this is a question for the men. Or would you want to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone? If you were forced to choose, which would you choose? And we're actually going to let the women answer, which one do you think most men chose? Number one or number two? Ooh, many of you not wanting to answer. Well, let's see the results. The results said that 74% of men, if forced to choose, would choose to be unloved and left alone rather than inadequate or disrespected. Does that surprise you at all? It doesn't look like it surprises the men, but it may surprise some of the women. I think it's interesting that Ephesians 5 goes on to say, nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. I found this verse really interesting because I thought, why did Paul have to differentiate one thing for the men and one thing for the women? He could have easily said, everyone just love everybody, and that would have been really good advice. Jesus actually said that, right? In John 13, 34, he said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Or he could have said, everyone respect each other. He actually did. Later in Romans, he said, everybody should treat each other with respect and with honor. But here in Ephesians 5, I find it really interesting that he very specifically says, husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. You may be way ahead of the game on this, but you may know from your reading or just from your own personal experience, I know many of you have been married 40, 50, 60 years, that men and women have very different needs. If you're looking for a good book to read on that, I want to recommend a book called His Needs, Her Needs. It's kind of an old classic on marriage written by Dr. Harley. But in that book, he says there's five basic needs that a husband has and five basic needs that a wife has. And interestingly enough, as you can imagine, those are very different. Well, this verse particularly capitalizes on that, saying that women have a need to be loved And men have a need to be respected. And that doesn't mean that men don't want to feel loved too. I remember the first time we were exploring this, Zach said, I want to be loved too. And I can imagine that many wives out there would say, well, I appreciate when you respect me as well. But Paul had something very key here when he said, women, you are to respect your husband. I think it's really interesting because this word respect is actually the same word that's used in Revelation 14 when it says, Fear God and give him glory. Respect, fear. Not being afraid, but this honor and respect and awe. There's a famous preacher in Los Angeles who 
His wife died several years back. His name was Dr. E. V. Hill, and he pastored a large church, and at her funeral, he was up sharing about the difference that she had made in his life. And he was relaying some stories about their life together and noting that she was the one that had really made him a better man. And I want to just share part of what he shared that day. You can imagine he's standing up at his wife's funeral. He said, I had trouble earning a living as a young preacher. One night I came home and found the house dark. And when I opened the door, I saw that my wife Jane had prepared a candlelight dinner for two. I thought it was a great idea, and I went into the bathroom to wash my hands, and I tried unsuccessfully to turn on the lights. Then I felt my way into the bedroom and flipped another switch, and darkness prevailed. I went back to the dining room and asked Jane why the electricity was off, and she began to cry. You worked so hard, and we're trying, but it's rough. I didn't have enough money to pay the bill. I didn't want you to know about it, so I thought tonight we would just eat by candlelight. And as he shared that story, as it was written out, it said that he just had so much emotion as he told about the words that his wife had said. He said this, she could have said, I've never been in this situation before. I grew up in the home of a doctor and we never had our lights cut off. She could have broken my spirit. She could have ruined me. She could have demoralized me. But instead, she said, somehow or another, we'll get the lights back on. But tonight, let's eat by candlelight. I began to realize that wives have an incredible privilege that no one else has to be our husband's main supporters and cheerleaders and encouragers. And going back to what we shared last week, you know, the tongue has a powerful, powerful influence, I guess you could say, to either bring life and to bring encouragement and to bring hope or to drag our husbands down. And as I was reading this book that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, over and over the author talks about the opportunity we have to support versus nag, encourage rather than criticize, be a cheerleader instead of constantly focusing on the bad qualities. And the choice is really ours. You know, Napoleon, who was probably one of the greatest military minds of all history, he had a lot of love letters between he and his wife, Josephine, that have been saved throughout time. And many people have read those love letters. And I think it's really interesting that he credits his wife for fueling his confidence. A man who's looked at with so much respect and awe for all that he did. His wife was the one that fueled his confidence. And respect is such a powerful thing. Proverbs chapter 12 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. That's a pretty descriptive verse, isn't it? Let's read it one more time. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. And it's crazy because we don't think about it very often, especially as women. We think, well, we just want to be loved. We want to be cared for. We want to be listened to. So that's what my husband must need too. But there's something more in the area of respect that God wants for us. This book, Love and Respect, I highly recommend it. I put it on the screen, so in case you wanted to write down the title or the author, you could do that. But this book is so powerful because it looks at this verse in Ephesians 5.33, and it talks about the different needs that men and women have, the different needs that marriages have, particularly husbands and wives. And in this book, it describes this cycle. It describes the crazy cycle and says that when a woman is not feeling loved... She will naturally react without respect. And when a husband isn't feeling respected, when he's not feeling like you respect his decisions or respect him as a person or respect the work that he does, he naturally will react without love. And so marriages find themselves spiraling downward in this crazy cycle for these reasons. Well, I don't feel love, so I'm not going to respect him. Well, she doesn't respect me, so I'm not going to love her. And you can imagine how it just goes down and down and down. But part two of this book, which is very encouraging, is called The Energizing Cycle. 
which is just the opposite. When you feel loved, you're motivated to respect. And when he's feeling respected, he's motivated to show love. And the more you feel love, the more you'll respect. And the more he feels respected, the more motivated he'll be to love. And I'm sure those of you that have been married for a long time, you can think about different times in your relationship where you've experienced the crazy cycle. And different times in your life, hopefully more times than not, that you've experienced the energizing cycle. And the interesting thing is either one of these can turn the cycle around. So since I'm talking to the wives specifically this morning, respect can change the cycle around. It seems crazy. Maybe it seems like he doesn't deserve that. There is no way I'm going to be respectful. Do you know how he treats me? Do you know the things he says to me? You're talking about words. Do you know how many times he's hurt me? Unconditional respect may seem like an oxymoron, but it's exactly what we need to turn this cycle around. And you know what? There's so many times when I don't deserve something, and yet Zach shows it anyway. I remember one day I was several years ago getting ready to speak on a Sabbath, and it was Thursday, but I was getting ready to prepare for Sabbath, and working on my sermon. I came in the kitchen where he was washing dishes, trying to take care of household things so I could focus. And I was like, hey, can you help me? And I started to run ideas by. And many men, as you know, like to fix your problems. And so he started saying, well, actually, you should do this. And maybe you could do this. And maybe you could do this. And oh, you're having trouble with this. Well, just say this or just do this or use this example. Well, I didn't actually really care for his answers that he was sharing and his advice. And So I kind of was like, no, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, why did you ask me? And it just kind of spiraled down from there. And soon after that, he had to head out. He had visitations all afternoon. And I was home still just working on this sermon and struggling through it. And when he came home that night, he brought my favorite ice cream just because. And I felt so bad. I felt like I do not deserve a treat after I had just treated him. I mean, he had been trying to help me and give me all these suggestions, but that's exactly how Jesus is. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve his forgiveness, but he gives it so freely. And in your relationships, you may be feeling right now, he doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. If you saw the way she talked behind my back, but God calls us to something. Ephesians chapter five, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. So you may be asking today, okay, I got it, but how do I actually do that? I'm going to put a few things. Oh, let's do this real quick before I put it on the screen here. I think it's really interesting that first Peter chapter three actually takes this idea of respect to the next level. Look at the verse. It says in the same way, you wives be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, This is talking about you may be in a relationship with someone who's an unbeliever. They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So we often say actions speak louder than words. Maybe today, 1 Peter chapter 3 is telling us that respect speaks louder than words. So how? In this book, it gives the acronym CHAIRS. And we're just going to take a quick look of what that means. So in the book, this Dr. Eggman, he asked the question, how do you spell respect? And right as you're starting to say R, he says, nope, it's actually spelled CHAIRS, C-H-A-I-R-S. And he uses this acronym to describe what respect really looks like. So let's just take a look at it. C stands for conquest. Appreciate his desire to work and achieve. You'll notice that many men, when they're talking to themselves, the first question they ask is, what do you do? Which doesn't mean, what are you doing currently? It means, what do you do for work, right? Many men identify with work, identify with what they do for a job. And so ways that we can show respect, appreciating his desire to work and achieve, is to tell him how much you value his hard work. If you're a stay-at-home mom and you're totally burnt out at the end of the day and your husband comes home and all you want to do is tell him all the terrible negative things and how the kids were so bad today, maybe take a minute to tell him how much you value his willingness to provide for your family. Thank him for the opportunity that you have to stay home. Express your faith in him regarding his job. 
Be interested in what's happening at his work. Don't compare him to other men. Never put down his job or how much he makes. Be there to support, encourage, and lift him up after a hard day. Just a few practical things. And if you're trying to write these down, I see some of you taking notes. You can even just snap a picture. It might be easier because there's five of these slides here. But just a few practical things that realize men have a need particularly to be affirmed when it comes to their work, when it comes to their achievement, when it comes to how hard they're working to provide for the family. H. Oh, no. I forgot H. So sorry. We're going to A. (laughs) You know, God woke us up very early this morning. Last night I was wrestling so much, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to share? And had all these different ideas, and I'd worked so hard all day typing all this stuff up, and by the end of the day I said, you know, that's not even what God wants me to do. So at 3 o'clock this morning, Zach was up in his part working on praying on his stuff, and I was up working and praying, and I think at 3 o'clock in the morning you forget H. So let's go to A. (laughs) A is appreciate his desire to serve and to lead. You know, God created Adam and Eve equals, and before sin that worked out really well. But after sin, he had to put a little bit of an order there so that we could work together and we could make life work easier. And God has given our husbands a special role, has given them a special privilege to be the leader. And one of our teachers at the seminary, he used to say, you know, men, before you get too excited about this, you just get to tell your wife what to do. Realize that being the leader means being the first to say sorry means being the first to make the hard phone calls, being the one to have to make the hard decisions. But as we recognize our husband's God-given role to be leader, it shows them respect. And that doesn't mean that you don't get to have any input or you don't get to help make decisions. I think it's better the more you can do it together. But every once in a while, men have to step up to make that, to, to fulfill that role. Number two, praise him for his good decisions. Be gracious and patient when he makes a bad decision. Disagree with him only in private and honor his authority in front of the kids. We grew up with a family who the dad was pretty harsh and had a lot of rules, definitely the disciplinarian in the family. And when the kids would act up and he would let them have it, and tell them what he was going to do when he got home or what was going to happen as far as their discipline or what privileges they were going to lose or consequences they would have, the kids would be like, oh, in fear. And as soon as he would walk off, the mom would say, it's okay. No, you really won't. You really won't have to do that. Or they'd get in trouble at school, and on the way home, they would tell their mom, mom, I just got in trouble at school, but don't tell dad. And she would commit in front of all of us to not tell him. Do you think that makes for a very happy, supportive marriage and family? Not so much. Saw the negative effects of that for years. So make a commitment that you'll support each other. Even if you don't agree, you support each other in front of the kids until you have a chance to work it out on your own. I, insight, appreciate his desire to analyze and counsel. I can almost guarantee you that every woman, every wife in the congregation this morning has come to her husband about something And because God has given our husbands a desire to analyze and counsel, they've tried to fix our problems. How many of you have had that experience before? And how many of you have not wanted them to fix your problems? Yes, I see more hands coming up. It's a very common need that women have a desire just to tell you everything that's going on, and all they want you to do is listen. But... Men have a desire to analyze and to counsel because of the way that God has wired them. And so you can show respect by thanking him for his advice without acting insulted. Go back to the day. I'm sitting there working on the sermon. I come in and ask for help. Zach makes these good suggestions. Even if it's something I'm not going to do, I can say, oh, that's a good idea. Not going to do it, but you don't have to tell him that part. Right? Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to help me out. Affirm his good ideas in front of the kids or other people. Ask for his input. I had to learn this one the hard way. I'm more of a social person than Zach is. And I remember when we lived in Michigan, we had a group of friends that wanted to get together every Saturday night. 
And I thought it was great. I had so much fun. We'd get together. We'd make popcorn and eat snacks. Sometimes we'd play games. Sometimes we'd just visit. And so every week, as we were leaving church, it would be like, hey, are you guys going to come over? Hey, should we come to your house? And everyone would start to make their plans. And often I would commit us to going. And then I would look at Zach, and he's like, I'm honestly so tired. I just wanted to sleep tonight. And so I learned that if I would just say, oh, thanks for the invitation. Let me check with Zach. Often he would say yes anyway or whatever you want to do or whatever because he's pretty laid back. But I realized that it would show him a lot of respect. He felt included if he could help make that decision. Recognize your husband's problem-solving approach as his male brand of empathy. This is super interesting in the book. He says, you know, just like other women, you come together, you start talking, and they may say, I'm just so sorry, and hug you, or hold your hand, or I'm so sorry that happened to you. That's just not how men are wired. Men want to fix things, and so you can show respect sometimes by letting him fix it. R's, relationship. Appreciate his desire for shoulder-to-shoulder friendship. Tell him that you like him in addition to loving him. You know, sometimes Zach and I laugh because throughout the day we'll text each other back and forth for whatever reason. He might be out and about or he'll be here, I'll be at home, whatever, and we'll be sending texts back and forth. Hey, can you bring my computer cord when you come to the office? Are you about ready for lunch or whatever? Just the common things you text about throughout the day. But if you scroll through our texts, there are so many hearts, there's so many hug emojis and kiss emojis and okay, I love you and Sometimes I'll just crack up because I'm like, okay, this is only an hour worth of text. And if you just scroll through it enough, there's 10 emojis on there. But do you realize that the more you invest in your relationship like that, the more close you will become? And men want that. Men have a desire for a shoulder-to-shoulder friendship that shows that you actually like them, that you want to be together with them, not just that you're committed for life, you're married, didn't I marry you? but that you actually like them. Respond to his invitation to engage in recreational activities. Go for a walk together. Go for a hike together. Do something that he likes to do. Respect his other male friendships. Honor his wishes and his preferences. This can be in the little things. Maybe he prefers you to style your hair a certain way, or maybe he prefers a certain color on you. I know there are certain things, even from the time we got married, Zach's like, yeah, that color just isn't your best, right? Nice way to say it, but it actually goes for the big things too, you know? Zach, it means so much to him that I can join him in work, and honestly, it's been a hard thing for me not to feel like I'm contributing financially to our household. I'm spending most of the money. I'm making no money, and sometimes it really is hard for me, but as he's expressed over and over again, I want you to work with me. Even if you're not getting paid anything, it's my preference. It's my desire. I want you to work with me. It's important to me that you work for God. It's important to me that you serve our church. I don't care if we have anything. If it was up to him, we would... Okay, this is just his idea. It's kind of a joke between us. But if it was just him by himself, he said he would just live in this room right here by his office because his office has a shower and he wouldn't have to pay any rent. He could give all of his money to the church. So that would be his preference. However, he does have me, so we have a house. But that's something that's important to him. And sometimes I I get down or I feel like, man, I should be contributing more money to our house. And I have to remember that that's not what he wants. It's meaningful to him to be able to work together. And I love to do it. I mean, every once in a while I feel bad. But I love the job that I have and that we're able to serve together. But I've realized that it can show him so much respect as I honor his wishes, honor his preferences, the little things, the big things. Give him your undivided attention. Drop the nagging, interrupting, correcting, especially in front of other people. The book Love and Respect, it says there's nothing that demoralizes a man more than when you correct him or interrupt him or nag him in front of other people. How many times have I been guilty of that? Zach and I have had to apologize so many times. He'll be telling a story. I'm like, that's actually not what happened. Well, the actual details are, let me me help you, you know, and I'll start to tell him, and it makes him feel so bad. S, sexuality. Appreciate his desire for sexual intimacy. Respond more often. Initiate periodically. 
Don't deprive. And last but not least, never put him down, but always seek to build him up. If I could boil it down, this is what I would say. God's special privilege and special role is for wives. An awesome responsibility. How did Proverbs 12.4 say it? Shame is like rottenness to the bones. So every day in your home, amidst all the things that you have to do with caring for the kids or going to work or juggling a million different things, we have two options, to build up or to drag down, to encourage or demoralize. I'll finish just by sharing a story about Wally. Wally grew up in a broken home. He didn't have his real dad. Life was very rough in his teenage years, and as he got into college, he decided to take training to become a printer. And throughout his college experiences, he was taking this training. He actually felt called to switch and to take the ministry. And a guy in his class commented on Wally's girlfriend one day, saying, you'll never be a success in ministry if you marry her. Well, most guys can probably resonate with Wally's feelings at that point. He was not very happy and responded, hey, I'll choose my wife and you choose yours. (laughs) They were married, but his salary didn't allow for much, and his wife would wash their clothes in the bathtub. She would cook on the one little hot plate that they had that was just on top of a wooden crate that the pots and pans hung inside. And not long passed until they found themselves in a really, really tough work situation. He was under a senior pastor that didn't treat him well, and every day was practically miserable. And work became so hard that he thought, you know what, I'm just going to give up. He started looking at the newspaper, and he would see other possible jobs, and he would ask, what do you think? Should I try it? Should I apply for it? He became really depressed. He was ready just to forget the ministry altogether. But his wife, but his wife, said, no way. You will not quit. This is something that God has called you to. And she didn't let him. She didn't let him apply for other jobs. She didn't let him quit. And while he actually went on to become a very successful pastor, he went on to serve in all the levels of church administration and Before he retired, he served at the GC, he was chairing the Loma Linda board and doing so many things for the Adventist church, traveling around the world and seeing God's work go forward. And I actually had the privilege to know this guy. He was Zach's grandpa. We called him Grandpa Co. And as I heard him share his stories and experiences, and especially in those early days when life was so, so rough, he made one thing very, very clear. His wife made all the difference. Bet a lot of you men can identify with that. <laughs> I sure can. I think my wife has made all the difference in the world for me. I'm so thankful for her. I remember when she first told me about this concept of love and respect, I thought, that's, that's crazy. I don't know why you're reading those books anyway. Respect, that can't really be that valuable. And then she went through the list. I was like, oh, well, I guess, okay, that might be. I, I, could, see, I could see the value in that too. Um, but we wanted to, to include also the, the love portion of it because I believe that's the key for both male and female relationships and in all of our relationships is the love aspect. But really respect is just one side of the aspect of love. I wanted you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Hopefully you're still in Ephesians chapter 5. There's so much in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. We're just going to go through these points really quickly here. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Then what does it say? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Sometimes people look at the Bible and they say, oh, it, it puts men on this pedestal and women have to be in this subservient role. But if you look at that, men, you are called to something high. You're called to something that involves washing people's feet, that involves serving, that involves laying down your life for your spouse. You're called to lead in love. And that's what we want to talk about here as we close. Um, in the same book, 
Dr. Emerson says this, you cannot motivate your spouse to give you what you need by withholding what she really needs. Sometimes as men, we might feel like, well, if my wife treated me in the right ways, maybe I would give her the love that she's longing for. But since she's not treating me like that, I'm not going to. And that's the crazy cycle that she talked about. What we want to do is reverse that. You get to be the person that can change everything. As you walk out of here, don't point to your spouse. Don't point to somebody else. But walk out and say, okay, from now on, I'm changing. This starts with me by God's grace. So he gives an acronym for the female side of things, but I want to apply it to all of us, really, because love is so crucial for all aspects of our lives. And he uses the acronym COUPLE, saying this is how to spell love. COUPLE. So the first letter is C, CLOSENESS. She feels close to you when you hold her hand, he says, when you hug her, when you make it a priority to spend time with her, you go for a walk or jog or anything together, you seek her out, you set up a date night, any of these types of things. This is so true in a marriage. And it may be sometimes that the the role is reversed. Sometimes it might be the man who wants some of these things. We are very different creatures, and it's difficult to peg everybody by one list of things. But in my marriage, it's exactly like this. Leah would just want to be with me no matter where she is. She would prefer that I come and work on my computer in the kitchen while she washes dishes. She'd be perfectly happy to wash dishes all day long if I was just sitting there and working in the same space with her and was paying attention to her. That closeness means so much to her, and I think it does to a lot of females. Just to be together means so much. The O, openness. Oh, sorry. Actually, before we do that, so husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church, Ephesians 5.25. So how does Christ love us? John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came all the way down. He dwelt among us. He came as close as possible because he wanted to identify with us. He doesn't ask you to do anything that he hasn't already done and that he doesn't want to fill you with the grace to do. Jesus came close to us and he wants to be close to us and he teaches us to want to be close to our spouse. Openness. She feels you are open to her when you share your feelings. This is another one that isn't natural for a lot of men. It isn't natural for us to have open conversations with people. But it's important for us to have that openness, to share our feelings, to say, hey, let's talk about this, to ask her how she's feeling about things, to ask for her opinions, to pray with her, to give full attention, not just turning on the TV, texting, writing emails, and grunting, meanwhile, pretending that you're paying attention. Our wives need our full attention, our openness to them. That's exactly what God does with us. Amos 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. He's an open book to us. He reveals so much to us. And we need to love our wives. We need to love others around us the same way that God has loved us. Understanding. She feels you are trying to understand her when you don't try to fix all of her problems unless she specifically asks you for a solution. This is a hard one for me. To just sit there and listen and say, I know the answers to this. I could solve this problem right now. I know that I could fix this. But just to listen and just to be there as a friend, just to be understanding and not to act like I have all the solutions in the world is huge. To identify with their feelings, to not dismiss their feelings, even if I feel like it's totally illogical. Oftentimes I'll try to tell, look, Leah, if you just think about it, this just doesn't make sense. And just say, well, but that's how I feel about it. And sometimes we just need to understand that somebody else is coming from a different perspective. Nobody's experience is the same. God made us different, and he made us different for a reason. Back in Genesis chapter 2, when he said that he made us help, a helpmate for men, it's that word that we talked about the first week of being like and yet different. Not just anatomy, but in personality, every part of our relationship, there's differences there that polishes us, that helps us, that grows us. Our wives, our spouses are there to help us grow. Don't interrupt her when she's trying to tell you how she feels apologize and admit 
when you are wrong. That's the U, the P. Oh, sorry. Again, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We see that Jesus did exactly this for us. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He came close to us to identify with us so that he could understand everything that we go through. That's the God that we have, and that's the husbands that we're called to be. To draw close so that we can really understand. That's what we're called to be with our friends. That's what we're called to be in our workplaces. In order to do unto others as we would have others do unto us, we've got to come to the place where we understand what they're going through, where we've walked in their shoes and we empathize with all that they are feeling. P, peacemaking. She feels at peace with you. Jesus is the one who said, blessed are the peacemakers. When you let her vent her frustrations and hurts and don't get angry and close her off. That can be tough to do. You say, man, I just want to fix this. But just to listen, just to understand that there, those emotions just need some processing. You admit you are wrong and apologize by saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? You work at resolving the unresolved and never say, forget it. You never nurse bitterness and always reassure her of your love. You pray with her after a hurtful time. Jesus, in John 14, 27, said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus is the one that brings us peace, that went to the cross to restore our peace with God. Loyalty. She is assured of loyalty when you speak highly of her in front of others. You make your marriage your priority. You keep your commitments. You don't look lustfully at other women. You speak positively of her and the children at all times. You know, in any of your relationships, if a person knows that you value them, that you esteem them, that, that, that you're loyal to this, this relationship, it will do incredible things. Even if they're not following through on their end, you'll find that it will raise the bar for how they treat you. That's how God has treated us. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, he promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's the God that we have. And we only love because he first loved us. Finally, esteem. She will feel esteemed when you speak highly of her, even in front of others. You encourage and appreciate her for the things she does. You treat her like you did when you were dating her. That's a crucial one. (laughs) Think about it. If we kept doing the little things we did when we were dating... How much would it help our relationships? Or maybe for you as a parent, you remember how much you cared for your child when they were first born and as they were growing up, and then you have the second child, the third child, and then it's to continue to have that loving care like when you first began the relationship is crucial in all of our relationships. You genuinely compliment her beauty. You teach the children to show her and others respect. That's ultimately how God treats us. Again and again throughout the Bible, He tells you how valuable you are. He tells you how much He loves you. He's constantly giving you this picture of what He wants you to become and how beautiful you are in His eyes. Isaiah 43 and verse 4, Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. That's the way that God treats us, and that's the way that He wants for us to love others. So remember, you want to have a forecast in your relationships of gold that's falling down, of diamonds that are falling from the sky. If you want to have abundance in your relationships, the simple overarching principle that sums up the entire Old Testament, and I would, I would say Jesus would say the New Testament too. So do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Another way to look at it is in... It says, page 164... All are to find their happiness in the happiness of those whom they help and bless. If you are constantly seeking the happiness of the people in your sphere of influence, the people that you are dealing with, your only focus is on making their lives better. What would they want for breakfast? What would they want for somebody to do for them right now? As I walk out of church and I'm talking to somebody, What is it on their hearts? How could I possibly help them and encourage them and be there for them? As you're seeking other people's happiness, 
you're going to find that you become happy too. You're going to find that your needs are going to be met. In your marriage, you're going to find that if you follow through on loving your wife, you're going to find that respect coming back. Wives, as you respect your husbands, you're going to find that love just comes back. And it's going to be a cycle that builds and builds in your relationship. This is what God is longing for us to have. And we see this in Jesus' example, closing verse. If you think about it, Jesus humbled himself. He came down. He loved us. He does all of these things for us. And what does he get out of it? It's not his purpose to come and get something out of it. But in the end, in Revelation, when you read this glorious scene in Revelation 19, it says that there are multitudes there, and this is what they're saying. Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And for all of us, like John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new commandment I give unto you, love one another as I have loved you. And the forecast will be showers of gold in your relationships. Do you want to follow the golden rule with me? Do you want to focus on letting Christ love people through us? If that's your desire this morning, I just want you to stand with me as we have our closing prayer. Father, we're all so different. We come from so many different backgrounds and experiences. We have so much going on in our lives, so many things that we are focused on. But thank you for demonstrating and giving yourself to us what love really is like. Give us that same selfless love in our own hearts. Fill us with your Spirit. Transform our hearts so that we love like you love. So that we respect others like you have given that respect towards us. Oh God, change our relationships. Transform them. Fill them full of abundance. Take us out of the crazy cycle and put us on that cycle that gets more and more abundant. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.